Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, all sunned out, all tanned up, Eric Kareen. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Good to be back. Uh, glad Skeets hasn't taken my uh, my spot permanently. I uh, wish. Tr- yeah, no, that'd be good for you. Uh, yeah. Bad for bad now- for bad for him. Not not the you part. The just sort of the downgrade from national podcaster to local podcaster. But uh, yeah, he's he's better at podcasting than I am. He's better at podcasting than most people. Yes. It's uh, it's why he has the career he has. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, we also we did we did mess up that episode. If it makes you feel better, though, we drafted our five one nine all stars. Neither of us realized that Windsor is a five one nine area code, so we left Michael Mulder off the five one nine all star team, and now he's a full time NBA. He hit some threes against the Raptors in Golden State. Where's Keats from originally? Michael Mulder. Michael Mulder, welcome to the five one nine all stars. Where's Keats from originally? Stratford. Okay. Oh, that's you know. I'm sure he gets a lot of Bieber jokes. He is the baby-faced one of uh, not lately uh, of the no dunks. Has he bearded up? He is here suit. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, I still think he would lose in a battle to uh, both Tess and uh, certainly Trey. Yeah, I don't know about Lee though. He might be able to outbeat yeah. Lee. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anywho, welcome back to you too. You were away professionally. Yeah, I'm tired, man. That's, yeah. Uh, those trips you gain are an appreciation. You gain an appreciation for just how tough a five-game road trip is when you're you're on the trip. And yeah, my uh, you know my flight isn't quite as as cushy as theirs, and I have to write after the games and stuff. But that is a lot of travel and a lot of time zone jumping. Like they played the Raptors just played six games in six cities over thirteen days. That's a lot. And they won four out of five of them, including a back-to-back. Uh... Uh, you know, I didn't see much of it. I have to think that is the most impressive when on the trip in Utah, Norm Powell goes down right away. And uh, I mean, that's the only game I saw completely. I saw parts of the Phoenix game and and Sacramento game too. But damn, that, perform- that was a hell of a performance. Yeah, the Phoenix game was like, it was impressive just because of how thinned out they were and like playing with no centers. But it's also the Phoenix Suns versus the Utah Jazz who were red hot at the time. Yeah, um, we should talk. We should talk about them. Yeah, we should talk about it. So the Raptors. By the way, when I said a six game, six games in six cities, I'm just including the game at home against Charlotte to start that trip because it's still six games in six and there days. Was, and there was only a two game. Yeah, there was only a two game, two day break in between. Yeah, the, the last games. home game. Um, yeah, sorry, I, in, in 11 days, not in 13 yeah. days. I, I was cu- curious about the Jazz game because it was the the vaunted uh, last game of a road trip versus, uh, vaunted is the wrong word, the dreaded last game of a long road trip versus the dreaded first game home after a long road trip for Utah. So obviously, yes. uh, two of the great excuses of all time for bad efforts. Uh, and I don't yes. think you can accuse As- either team of a bad effort. No, it was great. Um, as they, uh, yeah, as they're fond of saying, the first game home from the road trip is really like the last game of the road trip, which is why I included Charlotte in there as well. The Raptors won't have that excuse on Saturday because they get four days off coming off this road trip. I don't think you can then turn around and be like, well, first game back. We've only yeah, been home but, for a week. But rust, rust. There's yes. always an excuse. As a professional excuse maker, Blake, uh, I should, there's always something you can say. 
Also, it's the Detroit Pistons, and you know, you just know that Dwayne Casey like has his entire it, like their film sessions preparing for the Toronto Raptors are just like watching old William Regal highlights and like teaching his guys submissions and how to like snap a joint when no one's looking and <laughs> all sorts of you know the Raptors injury history against the Detroit Pistons, and uh, we'll we'll get into some of the bumps they stumbled into as they try to get healthy on this road trip, but you just know that Dwayne Casey's got some of that cooking too. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he'll be telling Christian Wood and and the rest of the big men to, you know, if you have to set an illegal screen, a particularly wide screen, just do it. Do it. He would not do that, I don't think. Christian Wood, the only good piston. Uh, He's he's for real, man. What is he, restricted or unrestricted this year? I believe he'd be restricted because he hasn't been in the league long enough. Yeah. uh, Um. I got to assume the Pistons prioritize keeping him, but... Uh, you think, otherwise they should have some... dealt him at the deadline. Yeah. But... Anyway, perhaps too much Pistons talk. <laughs> well, I mean, they are playing the Pistons later this week, and Christian Wood is the only yeah. interesting guy on the team. Yeah, uh, and even so. then. Christian Wood's an interesting one because, like, he... This is his fourth NBA season, and it's the first one where, he, like, he showed it a little bit with New Orleans last season, but he's very much had that, like, Terrence Jones-ish, how come every time you go to the G League, you dominate, and you're the best player at Summer League, and then no one gives you a chance in the NBA? And he's one of the rare cases where someone, like, it's finally clicked for him, and you start to think, oh, you have cups of coffee with Philly, Charlotte, Milwaukee, and New Orleans over your first four pro seasons, the first three NBA seasons, you start to wonder, like, what is it about this guy that's, like, not there or not clicking, um, something like that, and then it finally comes together, and maybe that's the mental side of figuring out how to, like, not be a 20-10 and 10 guy in the G League and take every shot that comes your way. Um, you know, not not dissimilar from how Chris Boucher took a little bit of time to kind of figure it out. Obviously not as long a runway for yeah. Boucher, but... Although Christian Wood, a good success story. When yeah. you look at, we always get asked about, you know, in the offseason about potential reclamation projects that the Raptors could undertake. And you look at even like higher up the reclamation chain, Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson type redraft flyers. You know, this is kind of how you, you hope it turns out. And I think that, you know, a guy like Christian Wood, the Raptors did kick around signing him to a two-way a couple years ago, but he didn't want to do a two-way. Um, you know, I think that's kind of that's kind of the model. It's a very Raptors thing for the Pistons to have figured it out here. Good for Dwayne Casey and Christian Wood. You've long been a an admirer of Christian Wood. I know. Um, yeah. And if you were there, you could take the Chris Dunn Christian jokes and yeah. just use them for him. So big loss for you. Uh, but the Raptors are doing fine, I think. Yes, they are. Uh, so. We will save the rest of the Pistons talk for the end of the podcast. There will not be a ton of it because they're the Detroit Pistons. Eric, we got to talk about one more thing before we get into this road trip. WWE, close to signing Rob Gronkowski, has announced uh, Tuesday night on WWE Backstage. Uh, We will not, I'm not giving you a platform to talk about your Leafs this week, but your thoughts quickly on Gronk to WWE. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how you package him as an actual wrestler like you can only for you can only for so long like play off his nfl persona and i think that crosses over with matt riddle a little bit uh like you know your bro your fun loving bro um i don't know like can he play heel 
I, I'm not sure about he's that. He's probably going to have to because I think people are going to be inclined to boo him because what you, he's you, Rob Gronkowski. People, people don't like the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Um, you know, he's going to have to learn a few moves, I'm sure, but not that many based on the current uh, WWE Universal Champion. Champion. So uh, so <laughs> go ahead. if there's if there's still a WrestleMania, you can maybe expect Rob Gronkowski to show up there also being planned for the wrestlemania card according to my sources og ananobi versus rudy gobert <laughs> a uh so uh, this road take trip, is, it will be a take justice into your own hands match yeah rudy gobert just showing his whole ass with those comments like relax so anyway for anyone who didn't see it in the fourth quarter rudy gobert had been just like the raptors made life not very fun for him on monday in utah uh, he was visibly frustrated for a lot of the game. In the fourth quarter, him and OG Ananobi get tangled, kind of coming down in transition. And yes, OG Ananobi throws a bit of an elbow to clear some space. Uh, Gobert overreacts to it a little bit, leads to a bit of a shoving match, and both players are getting tossed. Uh, normally, you know, the old the old hockey mentality, if you could take the other team's best player off the ice, well, you, you kind of did well drawing those match penalties. In this case, Gobert wasn't playing particularly well, and OG Ananobi was having another tremendous defensive night, so maybe a wash there. But OG Ananobi and Rudy Gobert, that's uh, OG's complete, like, OG at the best of times, the worst of times, and when he's most heated, being the exact same person yeah. and the exact same demeanor. Like, he was just so casual about me. You want to you wanna go me? All right, let's... Yeah. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I do? How do we do this? Uh, I remember, like, I, I think about the Markeith Morris incident. Uh, I forgot which game it was. Game three. It was in Washington. Game three, game four, game six, near the start of one of those games. Um, and his just facial demeanor, like, it, it, it almost looks, like, surprised, but not really. Like, it's like, this is happening now with me? Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just the same blank expression. Um, uh, I I think Gobert's anger, if we want to dissect it, was more like, "What did I really do to get ejected?" Um, like maybe you give him a tech or you throw the double techs out, but at that point, the refs probably just wanted to ensure the game ended and within the next ten minutes, and uh, there weren't any further altercations uh and i can see that i don't think uh especially gobert i don't think he deserved to be tossed out but he was obviously frustrated about some other things beyond the uh the pushing match with og ananobi and he was probably frustrated that og ananobi blocked him uh on a very key possession uh a few moments earlier uh man og had like seven and five but i thought that was one of his best defensive games of the year I would agree. OG, uh, he had an excellent road trip in that regard. Obviously, he keeps racking up these steals at, a, at an historic rate um, for the franchise and those back-to-back six-steal games. And he's just he's on another level defensively. And we, so you and I did a written Raptors reason list at The Athletic uh, on Wednesday discussing um, the potential starting lineup. When the if the Raptors ever get healthy, as well as some eighth ninth man discussions, which you can check out by going to theathletic.com slash we the six. You can get 40% off a subscription if you go there. Uh, also mentioned within, and we kind of push it off to another time, is I think, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, about how 
when you're the number two defense in basketball and you are a very team-oriented, team-level defense, uh, and Nick Nurse is getting a lot of credit for the defense, it's hard to pick just one guy for all-defense argument. I've moved off of it being everyone has a case. I still think Fred Van Vliet and Marcus all have good cases, uh, but they've both missed a good chunk of time. Like I, I'm, I have firmly moved into if we're going to make a case for someone, it's OG Ananobi because I think he's been, if not in the top ten defensive players in the league this year, the top five. He's been very good, um, and you love to see like he's just sort of everywhere. He gets in passing lanes tremendously well. That Michelle Branch defense. (laughs) Um, I get that reference. Um, And you really, beyond him just being able to lock lock up one-on-one, and and I'd say that's where the difference is between him and Siakam. Like Siakam's a great off-ball defender, has great anticipation, but his and one he's on- like Siakam's a huge key to just like the aggressive scheme that they play. Yeah, because he can be everywhere, and, and that's important. But I also feel like Siakam has these significant, or not significant, but comparatively significant stretches of not playing good defense. Yeah, and like his one-on-one defense is no nowhere near, I'd say, as good as OG's this year. Right. Um, and and yeah, that makes sense. Like he is a way bigger load to carry offensively. So this isn't a uh, an area to knock Siakam, but I think in terms of games played and overall impact, I think OG Ananobi is clearly the guy they should be making a case for if they're going to do that. Uh, I still think Fred Van... I mean, I think Marc Gasol's clearly missed too many games now to be in the conversation. Yeah, 30 plus. Um, especially as a center who's not a traditional rim protector. Like, they're just not going to win that battle. Uh, I think you can make a case for Fred Van Vliet. I, like... if you He might look- be pushing up against missing too much time, too, though. It's getting... Like, when you... It's getting there. When you're talking about things that are like you're splitting hairs already with any all defensive case. Yeah. It might be tough. Like he's missed 16 games. Yeah. It's getting there. I, I from listening to like a series of podcasts, I think people are more willing to get off games played to a certain degree in all NBA talk versus like maybe award talk. Uh, whether it's well, rookie good. of the rookie of the year, so if he comes back and is relatively healthy, I still think they might be able to. But but you're right, and in, in like something as I don't want to call defense defense ephemeral, but it, it's not as stat based, obviously it's as nebulous. Yes, uh, as as uh, offenses, as and as you know, we measure those things, and, and you know, MVP and all that stuff. Um, it's if he has missed 16 or 17 or 18 or whatever the game may be, that's going to be a pretty easy tiebreaker for people to do on, you know, second team all defense. Whereas OG Ananobi steps on a foot, rolls his ankle and comes back the next day. So uh, maybe, or not the next day, the, the, the same night. Uh, so maybe Ed gets poked in the eye at the, on the same play by Mike Codley. Um, <laughs> his, his eyes, his, his eyes continue to be like virtual, finger magnets this season so So the raptors need to uh feed uh everybody whatever og's consuming yeah og by the way uh one of 13 players in the nba with a steal and block rate ahead of two percent 
pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. A lot of steals, a lot of blocks. Was, how many players is that? Thir- 13. Mm, okay. We're yeah. talking about arbitrary cutoff here. I just picked 2% as a... No, it's a good. It's a good. Also, like, it's a good arbitrary cutoff as far as arbitrary. Yeah, and like the only one of those players (laughs) who's done it over more minutes is James Harden. Mm. Which very surprised to see James Harden with a two percent block rate. It's a lot of blocks from behind. Yeah, I would. I would say that's um, rear view contests are just like sneaking in and people not expecting him to be there. He's he's not meeting many people at the rim or at the top of their shot. Yeah. Yep. So OG playing uh playing pretty well on that end of the floor. And we even saw we saw on this road trip too some very good Skeets and I talked about it a lot last episode because OG was coming off of uh off of a career offensive night, but he's also putting up this isn't relevant to the defensive player of the year all defense discussion, but ten point seven points, five point four rebounds, one point six assists. He's got career highs in um true shooting percentage, rebound percentage, assist percentage, steal percentage, block percentage. Um, and this is coming, you know, yeah, he's at a career high in three point percentage too, which helps, but he's actually taking the lowest share of his shots from three point range of his career. So he's doing a lot more to, um, score inside the arc too. So a lot of very, very encouraging stuff. I think the only thing you'd want to see you'd hope would have been a little higher. And this is way more role dependent than OG dependent is that his usage rate is still like pretty low. It's down at 14.4%, which is lower than last year. Um, he's still, you know, all you can ask of him really is to be hyper-efficient within the role he's asked to play, and he's doing that. Um, maybe over these last 18, you hope that he can expand that role a little bit. Well, yeah, and I think if he were going to, he had the opportunities to do so, right? Like, at, yeah. and I don't want to say this was his decision versus the coaching staff decision or or whatever. Like, a lot of the Raptors' offense flows naturally from what guys on the floor want to do. So I think you can put that usage, like at least a bit of it is OG's decision, not, not the Raptors like telling him to calm down and pass the ball. Um, But like, we have seen micro steps. Like he had a great assist out of the post the other night to, to Pascal Siakam where he read like it's about where he read a double team. Um, I think it was Royce O'Neal who was sort of floating, in and out of the paint as help and Siakam timed to cut very well, like good job by him too. And a, and a nice little slide of a bounce pass uh, for an and one layup for Siakam. Uh, so he does show improved passing at times, but like just the eye test, he still uh, is a bit awkward, I, I'd say in his drives. Uh, so he'll definitely like, I think his footwork more than his passing or anything else his footwork and his handle are, are things that I think go to top of the list to work on this summer. But uh, I think you've got to be pretty pleased with his progress overall, especially since, you know, he projects as one of the best defenders in the league. And, and the closer he gets to that, uh, the better you feel about his overall progress. And then you can start to work on the things that are going to make uh, him a more complete player but this version this role player is, is something you can you take every day from especially from the 23rd spot if we're still thinking about draft placement which we shouldn't be yeah and then on on top of that you look at like yeah big picture you'd like to see him growing in those areas but if we're now projecting ahead to what the offensive pecking order looks like in 
April, it's a really good thing that he can thrive in this 14, 15% usage rate because, you know, you're going to have the ball in your top guy's hands even more. And this is why, too, when we talk about, and again, we wrote about this at The Athletic, and you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six to get 40% off a, a subscription now. And that's the number six, not the word six. Um, one of the reasons that, I mean, beyond that OG is their best defender, one of the reasons it doesn't make a ton of sense to shift him to the bench as you try to find the right five if the top seven are healthy is that he's of those seven he's the one who best thrives in a fifth man usage role who's comfortable in that role and who doesn't profile as a guy who can help carry the offense of a second unit so he's kind of if you're talking about fifth starter profiles he fits it really really well yeah i think like i think if they're in a situation where they're like down five to ten points and in the waning minutes you're more likely to see him off the floor because you're looking for points uh, yep. uh, but that's a, that's an end of game situation. It's not a start of game situation. And, uh, and, uh, and obviously the end of game also involves getting stops, but, uh, I mean, if you don't score, it doesn't matter how many stops you get, I guess, is the, is the rationale there, but we don't have to talk about the future. Yeah. In terms of that extra scoring, boy, does Norman Powell look like he can provide it when healthy. Norman Powell came back against Charlotte after what nine games off this is the story of norman powell's career over his first four years had been stop and start momentum and that's whether he was filling in for someone else who was injured and they came back or he himself got injured he's shown so many flashes and never really put it together consistently that has no longer been the case this year he's pretty much you know since he came back from his last injury and even a little before that pretty consistent bet for somewhere in the double digits of points every night Um, often 20, he had scored coming out of this injury, 22, 24, 26, a career high 37, and then 31 over the course of five games, and then got hurt a minute and a half into the Utah game. We don't have an update. The Raptors have not practiced since that trip. They called it an ankle sprain, which could mean anything from he's back Saturday to three months from now, his ankle's still swollen like Dewan Hernandez. Uh, (laughs) So we don't have enough information to go off of yet. But Eric, what were you? I know you didn't watch a ton of these games um, in their in their entirety, but over the course of the year, how has your not perception? How has like how you think about Norman Powell as where he fits on this team changed over the course of the season? Um, we should say that Mike Ganter of the of Post Media, the only man that's man enough to to fit. Actually, I shouldn't even say that because he didn't start the trip. I take all my my um anger not anger i was going to make fun of you and grange for bailing on the utah game but uh that that you know ganter only had to do two games so you guys win the trip Um, also it was just to get sacramento to utah on a back-to-back was just like beat writer minutia beat writer minutia let's do it yeah just it it was logistically kind of difficult to uh, and then also to justify the expenditure. You know. Yeah, I didn't want to say that necessarily, but it well, was... Uh... Well, Tyler can cut this out if he thinks we shouldn't be uh, no, talking about No, it's fine. I mean, look, it's not a secret <laughs> that we don't travel to every game, and you have to you have to be smart about these things. If you, yeah, you, just missed... if you want to travel for West Coast trips, yeah. you got to... Look, getting Sacramento to Utah in a short window of time when you don't fly on the team's commercial flight or the team's uh, charter flight is difficult. 
Are they, I'm sorry, I'm very interested in this. Like, are there not many connect or direct flights from A to B? Or is it just... I had trouble finding a direct flight that would get me there in time and didn't require me to, like, fly at three in the morning. Oh, my God. Um, Sacramento. Gotta, I, I'm going to blame this on Sacramento because I think Salt no, Lake the has move a good was, airport. The move was, and I didn't, I'm not an experienced enough road trip traveler yeah. for this. The move was to, like... Instead of flying San Fran to Sacramento, rent a car, yeah. drive to Sacramento, and then drive back to San Fran and fly to San Fran. Yeah. That was the move. Uh, anyway, you live, you learn. Uh, Norm Powell has lived and learned. <laughs> yeah, young Alanis. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, like, I've covered this team, obviously, as as of you, for the whole, for Norm's whole career. And I think still think there's and because of that i think there's part of me that's still waiting for when he does play for the bottom to sort of fall out again and for him to reach us a stretch where he's not producing at the same rate and he's sort of attacking a bit aimlessly the three-pointer falling at the rate it is is huge. Like, I, I don't think... And you, it's the second year in a row. Yeah, and and so you can start to hope that, okay, maybe he's not a 41, 42%. I don't know what he is at this year. Uh, it was at 40, right around 40 before he came back, so I can only assume it's above that now. Um, it is at 39.8. Okay, well... So effectively 40%. Um, that's huge, and... It's a weird release, so I kept I I think that probably makes me less uh less sure of its sustainability, but lots of good shooters have had weird releases. Ray Allen had a weird release. I I mean we started to think it was pretty just because it went in so much. (laughs) And it was always the same, which is a key part to any good release. But uh having a a pure release is not the only way to become a great a good three-point shooter so I, I think norm powell's on on the after that fluctuating so much in his first three years i think he's on the way to being we can say an above average three-point shooter and certainly a willing three-point shooter and i think that's what nick nurse loves most about him when he's going is like as as nurse puts it he's like a vault up shooter he's not gonna hesitate he and he can rise up off of his own dribble it's not just a swing swing He's open in the corner guy, although he can certainly do that. Um, and, you know, beyond that, his his season and transition has just been sensational. Um, I, I don't... I don't think I ever expected him to be... Like, he's athletic, and he has some ball skills, but I don't think I ever expected him to be, like, Siakam-esque in, the tra- in transition. He's been Yeah, and he's really, one of the really best good. in the league. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best in the league by volume and efficiency. I just want to make one other mention, and this relates to his transition play a little bit. Um, You mentioned the three-point shooting, and not only has it settled in around 40%, but Powell's diet of three-point shots is not... Like, it's not the typical role-player one where it's a ton of corner threes. He actually last year shot like significantly more threes from above the break and hit those at a 37% mark. And this year he's at 39.5%. Uh, above the break so this is not you know those threes tend to be a little tougher um he's taken what is it something like 60 percent of his more than 60 percent of his threes have been above the break threes this year and he's hitting those at almost 40 percent and 
any good three-point shooting spaces the floor well, but if you can be a threat like that above the break, um, you can help stretch the floor vertically then as well as horizontally. And uh, when you talk about the transition game, you come down and you're flying down the wing, uh, those threes tend to be available to you. So I think that's a, a big part of the Raptors' transition attack too, the fact that Powell is this above-the-break threat as well. Not a pull-up threat, but... It's nice to be able to station a floor spacer somewhere other than the corners. Yeah, and like really in transition, other than Lowry and Van Vliet, you don't have many guys you want taking those shots or, or settling for those shots in transition, I would say. Like Siakam, to a lesser extent, but still Surge are still like big set-your-feet guys. And um, But Powell, like it just doesn't take that long for him to get into his shooting motion. Uh, so... That's been big. Uh, and like, look, he's turning it over last when he drives into traffic. I, I think that was his, to use a Dwayne Caseyism, his bugaboo for a long time. Is he, <laughs> he, he was, he attacked and that was, it was good. It was necessary. But when he got there, he either did not protect the ball well enough, did not see the court well enough. And it's not like he's, flipping out a bunch of, you know, driving kicks for open threes now, but he's certainly getting to the rim uh, more successfully. And uh, you love to see it, like Yeah, expanded, pa- like an expanded finishing package, a little less straight liney, you know, comfortable going each hand across his body or, or naturally. It's yeah. been... He's, been he uses the, like Van Vliet, he's gotten better at using the rim as, as a protection uh, from yeah. shot blockers. Uh, Van Vliet obviously has to do that because of his size and relative lack of athleticism. But look, it's it's an effective wep- weapon in, um, in any, no matter what size you are, unless you're dunking everything like Giannis or Rudy Gobert, except against the Raptors. Yeah, you could say this. Norman Powell, offensively, good as hell lately. He's He's been great. Um, also on this trip, one more player we want to speak about individually, I think, and we could talk about Pascal Siakam. I wrote a, I wrote two pieces about Pascal Siakam on the trip, basically one about his struggles, which he put on his own back and kind of said he had to be better. A lot of that struggling actually came around the rim where we're talking about how Powell's expanded his finishing package. Um, Siakam though, despite the struggles has been able to figure out how to make an impact late in games. So after the Sacramento game, I wrote about how the Raptors spammed the Siakam-Lowry pick and roll down the stretch and why that was effective and kind of what goes into those decisions and what it tells you about the team. Um, but it's Lowry that I want to talk about because... Can I you know, can I interrupt for just a brief second? First of all, that everybody should read that piece um, after the Sac- Sacramento game. It was really insightful uh, about a way that the... Uh, the way the game went down, but that I don't think we made it. We made enough about how difficult that lefty finish was for Siakam. That, yeah, the Raptors had for good. Like it was a good play, and he got a mismatch. But to be moving and he at froze that, Bazemore did definitely did not think he was going left. Yeah, but to, and if you remember, I think that's how he beat the Suns last year at the buzzer with. But that was an easier shot, like the one against the Suns. Like this one, he was moving full speed. He wasn't that close to the, like, he had an awkward angle. Like, to hit an offhand layup at that speed, like, not from, like, your normal layup angle, that's not easy to do. Um, And he certainly missed his share of those lately, too. So uh, go back, watch that finish again, because it was 
pretty damn impressive. And I think it, it got, you know, it just says Siakam layup in, in the in the play-by-play, but I think it was a lot more than that, personally. Anyway. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, great. Kyle Lowry. Kyle also Lowry, great. also great, yes. Yes. Uh, so beyond just screening for Siakam... In the clutch, over this five-game trip, he averaged 24.4 points, five rebounds, 7.8 assists, 1.8 steals, hit 38.5% of his threes. More to the point about Kyle Lowry, plus 11 net rating when he was on the floor. The Raptors, minus 20 net rating when Lowry sat. Big, big swing. Lowry's number, this has been a weird year for Lowry because, because of the timing of his injury and... what it coincided with and how everyone else's injuries have coincided. Lowry doesn't have the usual uh, on-off case that he normally has. Um, He is fifth among regulars on the team in net rating, and the team's performance is basically um, the same with or without him. But there's a ton of noise baked into all the Raptors on-off numbers this year just because of the multiple incidences of injuries overlapping. Um, They don't tell you... It's messy, is what I'm saying. Lowry has always thrived in those areas. And I think this trip was a good example that he still has that in him where, you know, they're playing without Serge Ibaka for a couple of these games. They're playing without Marc Gasol for most of them. They're playing without Fred Van Vliet. Uh, yeah, it's expa- it's exacerbated a little bit because there's no point guard behind Kyle Lowry. Uh, and that dictates some of what those lineups behind him look like. But really, this team just struggled when he wasn't on the floor for this entire trip. And for Lowry to still be making this kind of impact and kind of playing this chameleon role where some nights he's been their top scorer, other nights he slides to number three or number four, um, ratchets up the defense, shifts the playmaker role. It's just, we've talked, we've talked a lot about Lowry this year, I think, but I don't think it ever is worth not mentioning again just how well he's playing this year. I don't know how this is going to go over because I know some a lot of people have antipathy toward this guy, but he's pretty much the Eastern Conference Chris Paul, right? Like not Yeah. Not in terms without of the, like without yeah. the clutch shooting this and year. Like but. yeah, he's not like the mid-range monster that Chris Paul is, but in terms of like guiding a team and determining and like getting inside the cracks of the game and sort of knowing what his team needs at any given time and determining the pace, like, and just sheer competitiveness. Um, Like, I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest impact from Lowry to the team as a whole is he just sets the tone competitively. And a big reason why this team seems to not take games off is because Lowry doesn't take games off. He's trying to manipulate and, and take, and win every minute. And I, you know, I, I know I'm this, this stuff can sound phony or it's just hard to quantify, but I think it's true. And I think, yeah, I think that stuff is pretty hard to deny if you've watched a whole lot of Raptors games this year. But when he starts hitting those threes, you know, he has the big pull up three against Utah, which was the biggest shot of that game. I would say Um, he just doesn't, he, especially on defense, he doesn't really make a wrong decision. He he can have some sloppy turnover games, but you know where he's going to be. He knows where to be. He knows how to exploit everything on the floor. And he's still, you know, I I think he's the biggest driver of of winning on this team still. Yeah. He also apparently just hates the Jazz. (laughs) He just, like, I haven't seen someone... This annoyed with the Jazz since Steve lived here 
uh, that's a too esoteric a joke. Uh, anyway, that's okay. Um, it's fine. But Lowry just like he always. I mean, this is his the eighth twenty point game of his career against the Jazz, and his sixth as a Raptor. He's dropped thirty nine, thirty six, thirty three, twenty eight. 21 and 20 against the jazz as a raptor and just like for whatever reason he's he gets up for those games and always big shots it seems too yeah his career numbers are only like 14.5 4.8 and 3.5 he played them a ton when yeah, he was with exactly. the rockets the yeah, it would be disproportionate to that because you're playing playing them four three or four times a year as opposed to um two twice a year if that yeah He's uh he's played them 13 times as a Raptor and I would say first of all he's 10 and 3 against them as a Raptor which is pretty good cuz the Jazz have been good for most of that run. Yeah, just looking quickly at the the box score lines it's I would say 9 of those games were very good games. Yeah. Um, he gets up for it. Good for him. Good for him. You got to It's good to hate somebody. Yeah. Couldn't be me though, obviously. No. All right, so in that Utah Jazz game, Norman Powell goes down 90 seconds in. Against Sacramento on Sunday, the Raptors got Marc Gasol back. He came off the bench, um, only played about 15 minutes, sat out the Utah game as a matter of, as they call it now, injury management. Yeah. Uh, Not sure if that'll be a longer-term thing, but they don't have... I mean, it it may as well be. They only have, what, two... They only have three back-to-backs the rest of the year. So if Gasol sat one half of each of those back-to-backs. I don't think anyone would really argue with it with an eye toward uh, mid-April. But Gasol is back. Fred Van Vliet could be back as soon as Saturday. Uh, He didn't seem particularly close to being back at any point on the trip based on my conversations with him, Uh, but maybe another four days gets him there. And we don't have an update on Norman Powell. Uh, Dewan Hernandez also slowly getting closer to a potential 905 rehab assignment or something like that, but that might be a little bit away still. Two, Eric. Won't, won't impact the Raptors unless things get really weird, which let's not rule out. Let's Also, the 905 are only half a game out of a playoff spot now, so it could be relevant in terms of do the 905 make the playoffs? Do guys like O'Shea Brissett and Paul Watson get some playoff experience? Keep the streak um, alive. You know. How many Yeah, years? it would be nice. What have they done? They like had such- four years in a row or three years in a row? Three years in a row. Okay. Um, so it would be, I mean, it would be nice for them for that reason. And then also just like they've had just as weird and tough a season as Raptors. Cause anytime the Raptors are suffering from a ton of injuries, that means that the nine Oh five are going to be thinned out relative to expectation Two, The nine Oh five ha- will set like by far over the course of the five year existence of the nine Oh five. This will be by far the least they've ever had in terms of NBA assignments. Um, O'Shea Brissett has pretty much maxed out his NBA days at this point. So they and then they've dealt with their own injuries like Dewan Hernandez, Sagaba Kanate, um, O'Shea's missed a couple games, Devin Robinson's missed a bunch of time. So they've been uh they've had a tough two, and they're now only half a game out. They're up to five hundred for the first time all year. So good for them. Uh, they might get Malcolm Miller this week. They might get Dewan Hernandez next week. Who knows? Be big. Could be good. Anyway, more to the point. Eric, we have no choice but to at least think through the lens of oh, if this team is healthy. Come mid-April, what do things look like? I don't want to rehash the article we did today about starting fives out of those top seven. I guess I would just, and you're not, you're 
closer to an alchemist than a doctor, I would say, just because you are not at all a doctor. Yeah, I, I um, also I'm I've been watching Lodge Forty Nine, and I'm interested in alchemy now. I'm going to pivot to be you're an, an alchemist. You're an alchemy guy. guy. Yeah. Um, what? Like Nick Nurse was pretty adamant in that Milwaukee game on February 25th that the team will be healthy at some point. <laughs> I'm just wondering how I are love, you feeling I, in general. I love that that moment uh, because it's it's an absurd thing to be confident about, right? Like obviously things were trending that way at that moment, and then in that very game. Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet both got knocked out for, I think, three and five games, uh, respectively, and Van Vliet could possibly still be counting. Um, how am I feeling? I don't know. Like, we're running out of runway. So I, I don't think any of those injuries... I mean, we don't know about Van Vliet. Uh, Ganter... Oh, this was the point I meant to bring up earlier. Mike Ganter of Post Media said he wasn't in a walking boot or anything after the game. So that's good news, hopefully. And, and like, looking at the replay, like, certainly looked painful. And, like, just getting rocked in midair by OGN and OB would be painful beyond any, like, awkward limbs or, or landing or whatever. But it didn't look like his ankle like really rolled or twisted. So you hope that, you know, having four days off, not that he'll necessarily be back on Saturday, but maybe it's it's not as serious as some sprained ankles can be. Um, so I guess I'm a bit optimistic before we get a diagnosis or a timeline that we probably won't receive for, for his injury. Uh, with Van Vliet, I, I mean, these... Predicting injuries is a fool's game. I, I thought Van Vliet would be back by the end of that trip. He wasn't. Now I think he'll be back for Saturday, but you were closer to the team than I was and said he wasn't looking uh, very close. It's just, it's just hard. Like they keep on finding ways to get injured. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's a thing where things are going to even out necessarily, but and, you know, at some point, you would think that the in, they've had enough bad luck that they, not that they're due for good luck, but they should stop getting bad luck. But that's not necessarily true. <laughs> like, and it really is like, <laughs> it really does come down to luck. Like, other yeah. than Marcus Gasol's hamstring, yeah. all of the injuries have been, like, mostly random stuff. Like, the, the incidents of broken fingers and thumbs on this team over the last couple of years, like, those are just basketball things. Yeah, like, there's not a bunch really of soft tissue injuries that are that yeah. are happening. There are a few, like, especially and ankles thing. And ankles, too. Like, ankles are just going to happen. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if anything, like, Lowry should have been injured more at this point. And other than his <laughs> broken finger, he's been relatively fine uh, i think like this has been one of his like he hasn't been dealing with a back injury that i know of which he obviously had last year uh nothing lower body that that i know of i think like the one guy who's pr pretty much been consistently bagged up in one way or another has been van vliet when even when yeah. he's played he's and that sort of a story of his career and how much he does play is sort of a, a tribute to his his ability to play through that um and how well he plays is a testament to how smart and good he is but 
you know, I, I don't see any reason why that bad luck should continue, but it's luck. Like I, you know, sometimes you land on a guy's foot. Sometimes you get gouged in the eye. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to say about it other than, uh, like, it's looked a few times. It was looking at the halfway point against Minnesota. I believe they had the full roster back for, or the full top eight or top seven back for the first time in a while. There's been another point, I, I think, when Gasol was readying to, um, like around the all-star break, it looked like they were going to get healthy and then Gasol was further delayed. And then around that Milwaukee game, it seemed like they were going to get healthy and we saw what happened. So I don't think there's any way to sound, as we can tell by the last few minutes, there's no way to talk about this intelligently and sound particularly intelligent, at least. Like, they're just going to need to get some luck and to make some smart decisions in terms of of distributing minutes and you know hopefully the Celtics continue to lose some games and it, and it's not that important although they pulled one out against Indiana after blowing another lead late uh last night uh so that's how I'm feeling I'm feeling unsure speaking of those Celtics by the way uh they dropped a couple so that's good for the Toronto Raptors um I lost the tab that I was going to They lost to Oklahoma City when uh when what Yes, with no Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder. That was a great a great I was watching that game in the uh Punta Cana airport and Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul expert uh an expert trap in the backcourt on Kemba Walker. Uh, as uh, as Vivek Jacob pointed out on Twitter, not only was that four straight home losses for the Celtics, it was four straight in which they led by 15 or more at some point in those games. Yeah, uh, The Raptors are now three games up on the Celtics, which maybe doesn't feel like a ton when there are 18 games left and the Raptors are as hurt as they are. And they have, after Golden State and Detroit, or after Detroit and Golden State, these next two, the schedule turns quite unfriendly for the it, next 10 games or it so. It is rough. However... However, with a three-game lead with this little amount of time to go, playoffstatus.com gives the Raptors a 78% chance to land the two-seed. Now, how probabilities work does not mean you should lock in the Raptors to the two-seed yet. That's still greater than a one-in-five chance that the Celtics can, uh, or someone else, can make up that ground. So um, 78% is certainly not 100%. Especially Boston has the tiebreaker right now. Um, They obviously have one more game to play. And what is is division the second tiebreaker in yeah. teams? I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna look that up quickly. It is. Um, um, basketball reference, by the way, has the Raptors at 83%. If you want something a little more optimistic, yeah, the Raptors are eight and four in their division. Boston is seven and six. Obviously, that's close enough where we can't really think about it right now. And if Boston wins that game next Friday, I believe. Uh, they, that won't matter anyway because Boston will have won the season series. Yeah, and then I mean that's also an in division win that pushes them. But it would be ir- that it would, way. Um, it would be irrelevant. Yes. Yeah. Boston also has a slightly easier schedule. Yeah. John Schumann, I saw in his latest power rankings, had the Raptors having played the easiest schedule in the NBA uh, up until Monday, uh, which sort of sucks to hear after your when your four games through a five-game Western Conference road trip. But again, as you mentioned, like uh, they've got Boston, Milwaukee twice, Denver, uh, Philly and Miami once each. Um, 
yeah, it's a, a back-to-back with Memphis, which they should be favored in both of those games if they're relatively healthy, but Memphis is... Uh, Fighting for a playoff spot. And yes, they are pesky, pesky little cubs. Um, or, man, JV is putting up some lines, by the way. Whew. Whew. Is he ever. Uh, oh, his revenge games against the Raptors are going to be... Uh, are going to be epic. He's going to have like eight offensive rebounds in that game. <laughs> and like it, I could, I could see it being a game where he doesn't actually like play that well. Cause like nobody, nobody knows JV better than Nick nurse. Like Nick nurse is going to have game plans for him, but there's like, you can't really game plan around the offensive rebounding issue. And that's a huge strength of JV where he's like, it's actually insane how well he's been offensive rebounding in his last 14 games. He's only grabbed fewer than two offensive rebounds once. Yeah, he's good. Pretty uh, great. Uh, and he's put up 27 in each of the last two games. One of the most beloved, fire. beloved, beloved X Raptors of all time. I look forward to his return. Assuming people are still allowed to travel on March 30th. I think that game is. Yeah. Yeah, the one. What is it? Twenty eighth and thirtieth, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we obviously we haven't some- we haven't talked about the coronavirus. I think everybody's read about it a lot, and we don't have any particular insights about it right now. But stuff could get weird over the next few weeks. Yeah, we're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, the NBA, according to multiple reports, the NBA Board of Governor, yeah, the NBA Board of Governors will speak. Uh, via conference call Wednesday, and those conference calls will continue with other team personnel into Thursday as the league tries to decide uh, whether they will continue to play games, whether they will play those in an empty arena, whether they might look at playing them on neutral sites or um, shifting the locations of some of those games around outbreak cities and non-outbreak cities. Um, We will not get into our own opinions on those things right now neither of us is a medical expert other than to say i i am apparently an alchemy expert though yeah stay stay attuned to twitter and wherever you get your yeah. news and wash your uh, hands things like that. do that i'd imagine i'd yeah please wash your hands wash your hands anyway yeah no you did you see the braun Strowman wash these hands <laughs> I, I i saw i did not watch the video but i saw okay i saw that it existed and uh it pleased me um, I think my favorite comments on all of this so far are from Stephen Adams, who just like was just pointing out how disgusting everyone else is, and like he was like basically being like, "I wash my hands like that all the time." You guys are all disgusting. Yeah, um, I I like I'm a pretty frequent washer of hands, I would say, but I, I it was instructive to find out uh, that I forgot. I think Skeets retweeted this, or, or somebody from TB or TBJ. I'm <laughs> two names behind what they're actually called now. No Dunks uh, tweeted that the amount of time you should be washing your hands is uh, washing your hands is approximately the length of the chorus, the full chorus of Ms. Jackson by Outcast. So if you just yeah, sing, I, sing there that, are a bunch of memes like that yeah, going around. If you just sing that to yourself. Uh, which I can as a child of the nineties and early aughts, uh, it, it, that will be a, a big help. And why wouldn't you want to sing it to yourself? Yeah, sure. I've been going with Judas by Fozzie myself, but <laughs> you know, sing, sing whatever song uh, we were, you'd like to sing. 
Anyway, uh, hopefully things remain mostly unaffected, but there are bigger things to uh, concern yourself with when it comes to this rather than than how the NBA season plays out. Uh, let's just hope we uh, people are smart enough. The people in power are smart enough to take the appropriate measures. If business continues as usual, the Toronto Raptors will host the Detroit Pistons on Saturday and the Golden State Warriors on Monday in a game, by the way, that the start time has been bumped from 8 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. for Woo! because the Raptors yes! got booted off of ESPN. Yes! The disrespect. I love it. Um, apparently, nobody wants to watch the bottom-feeding Golden State Warriors and 519 legend Michael Mulder. I'm a bit surprised with Steph back that they would have done that. Uh, like, but Steph's like, we don't know if Steph's going to play. Steph's got the flu really badly. But that was like, uh, I think he was supposed to. he's supposed to play on Thursday, I think is Golden State's next game. I think uh, Anthony Slater of the Athletic Bay Area, our former final f- finals friends, uh, I think he reported that he should be back on Thursday. But it's just the normal flu. Well, that'd be nice because he's incredibly fun to watch and that game in San Francisco was awesome. Um, maybe yeah, that's one I, that did, I didn't see any of that one. Maybe at some point I'll go back and and watch more. It was of it. really fun. Yeah, uh, I can only. Steph imagine. just hit yeah. some like crazy Steph shots, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure the crowd was really good too. How was the new arena, by the way? Um, I, corporate. I, yeah, I don't have like strong feelings on arenas. I do have strong feelings on crowds, and Golden State used to have one of the better crowds, uh, and in an awful arena. But I, I know I just said I did, don't have strong feelings on arenas. That arena was just falling apart, so I was glad to see it go. But that crowd was like top three top five to me so i'm curious yeah i didn't feel that that game yeah. um obviously the step fireworks got some some of that stuff going um and i think you know i think it'll probably get there when the games matter again but yeah. for this one it's uh it's a little t- like it's a little more intimate like it, it feels it has like a bucks arena vibe the way it's laid out and the way the upper bowl is structured um it's uh it's nice though like the like underneath it's it's obviously look it's a it's a brand new arena in san francisco it's going to be nice and it's going to have the amenities and things like that um some pretty good consent i had a very good tamale Ooh, yeah it was good um no it's it's nice man it's it doesn't have the personality of oracle yet but also like you got to give an arena some time to to build that too i think so yeah uh do you have a uh, you know having traveled a little bit for your first two years uh here at the Athletic, do you have like a best crowd or favorite arena, best atmosphere that you've been to? Mm, I mean, like the finals were amazing. Yeah, I just mean like in terms of a regular season game, like where. No, I think MSG has been my favorite experience yeah. just because like it's MSG and the history of it. And I've done like half the arenas yeah. now. I will say uh, the Phoenix crowd was entirely Raptors. Yeah, that's not Snowbirds. Like maybe. somehow that was a home game. Snowbirds, Snowbirds. Yeah. Also, the Phoenix uh, jumbotron is just like, like it, it's shaped like an iPad. Like it's it's made out to look like a phone, but it just looks like an iPad, and it's about the size of an iPad. It's like comically bad. At Talking Stick Resort Arena. Yeah, I've only been there once, uh, so I don't have a strong memory of it. Uh, my favorite, my. Best atmospheres, I would say, are Portland and 
Boston are probably the two most reliably. Yeah, Boston's really good. Yeah, as even much as that a, yeah, me to... yeah, they have a good atmosphere and it's apparently Salt Lakes is really good too. And, and like just watching that game, it sounded like, especially when their zone was sort of choking the life out of the Raptors there and at the end of the first and the start of the second. Um, I, I haven't been there. Salt Lake is one of the five arenas I haven't been to. Uh, hopefully crossing two of those off the uh the list at the end of this month but we'll see again uh see our fancy or, boy listen to our prior conversation for reasons why that might not happen but um yeah that sounded like a good crowd and and i've heard beyond like the obviously problematic situations that have gone on with players uh that that's a good crowd and and oklahoma city is apparently highly rated too and that's another one of the top five that are of the five that I haven't been to, that's also on the list. Cool. Uh, I just well, thought um, we, we should I hope you get to do those. Yeah, I thought we should throw some beat writer minutia into the end of this podcast. Sure. All right. Assuming things go as planned, they'll play Detroit and Golden State, and then they'll visit Philadelphia. But we'll probably talk to you before that visit against the 76ers. What a week next week is 76ers and the Celtics. Oh, man. No one will be overreacting to next week at all. All right, so we will talk to you probably before the Philadelphia game. Eric, any parting shots before we go, man? Uh, I mean, it's it's nice to have a bit of... I mean, I just had a long breather. <laughs> um, but it, I'm sure it's nice for the Raptors to have a breather heading into this part of the schedule. Uh, it's going to be... It's going to be uh, the next 12 games, apparently, especially after the next two. Could be rough. Uh, I mean, it's shaping up rough. We're going to, again, find out more about this team. Uh, and there's, you just hope that they're getting closer to full health. What can I say? Um, and it would be nice for Norm to get some good injury luck for once. I, I think that's my biggest thing. He really deserves to have his game games played total up, you know, rather than, you know, in the 40s or whatever. Maybe he can get them up into the 50s. Uh and because he the season he's having deserves to be recognized as opposed to just saying, well, if he had stayed healthy, we could really take him seriously. But because he didn't, we still have to see him do this over a full season. So my biggest thing is I just hope he's healthy. And uh, this this next absence isn't too long or even an absence at all. I would agree with you. Hopefully it's a, it's a short one and we see him, if not Saturday, then by the time that Sixers game rolls around we will talk to you guys before that Sixers game after Pistons after Warriors um who knows maybe we have to do an emergency podcast because the Pistons hurt all the Raptors for like a seventh straight meeting uh we will deal with that if and when it happens Eric thanks so much man and we will talk to you guys next week good to be back Blake see ya see ya